Welcome, 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 TPM Tribe, to the TPM Podcast, Theology of Plain Men. Welcome back, everyone. Appreciate you listening to us for another week. I am here uh, with my good friends, Andre Nelson and Michael Francis. This is Matt Almquist running the board for the first time. What can go wrong? (laughs) How's it going, guys? Only everything can go wrong. (laughs) <laughs> Just like being a little delayed like, to unmuting like us that. right there. <laughs> I set myself up for success with uh, what can go wrong. Hey, Matt, that's okay. You got me not making my dancing noises at the beginning when you're playing the intro, and I think I'm muted. So you overmuted me, which is the correct air, I believe. <laughs> so. I think that's true. <laughs> and I love lesser of two evils arguments, right? <laughs> Sorry, let's, we don't need to get into that tonight. <laughs> a little early in the podcast yeah, for that, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So right before we hopped on here, Michael was bragging to us about this Fitbit that he's wearing on his arm, which is like an Apple watch for... I don't know. Uh, people who don't pre- want to spend <laughs> as much money as Apple Watch. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and walk us through the persona of each time, Michael? Let's offend a whole lot of people <laughs> yeah, right here, at the start. I, Actually, let's for real. The Fitbit person, the Garmin person, and the Apple Watch person. We could actually debate that on the differences <laughs> between it. Because frankly, so about this, I, I view the Garmin group as the workout group. Those people are active. I view the Apple group as Apple lovers also people who um, want to sync all their devices together and like the, I don't know. And this is, so just as a disclaimer, this is totally my opinion and I don't think it's probably correct, but the Apple watches is also the people who are like put together, you know, like the people who make sure their collar straight in the morning and their, their shirt is ironed. And then you have the Fitbit people who really want to be in either the Garmin group or the <laughs> Apple group, but aren't quite there. And that's the group that I find myself in. I don't work out enough and I don't iron my shirts enough to be yeah. in any of the other two groups. So Sitting right on that fence. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have a Fitbit. I actually kind of like that. Was that's that a the good, good description? That's a good assessment. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. And as Matt said, we were talking about watches and we were talking about and we can get into this as we get into the topic of today, which is spiritual disciplines and prayer, but uh, is about removing yourself right from technology. And Andre is saying, yeah, he's he puts his phone away, but he'll always have his Apple Watch on him, so he gets the text anyway, right, or the call anyway. Yeah. And I was saying how my Fitbit's on has been on Do Not Disturb for a long time, and I just forget to turn it off because the main reason I like it is one, it tracks my steps, gives me the time; those are both nice, but it tracks my sleep. And my wife and I kind of have a minor competition going every morning. We'll ask each other who got a better sleep score because Fitbit will analyze your sleep and give you a score. And eight times out of ten, my wife wins. So it's it's really no hands down. She is incredible at sleep. And I I'm one of the people who has a hard time falling asleep. Like I need everything right. I need to be on my back. The room needs to be cool. I need to have a certain amount of blankets over me, and I need to have nothing on my mind, and then I'll fall asleep. Where my wife, she can fall asleep everywhere, and it's like a difference in people groups. Some people need everything to line up, and they'll fall asleep. Other people just can fall asleep anywhere, and in our marriage, that comes out very clearly and distinctly. So usually she has a better sleep score than me. I feel like being good at sleep is one of the most underrated life skills that oh yeah i mean what affects every function of your life as much as sleep and if you can just nail that and and fall asleep right away man 
that's that's a it's that's so a nice. Right I, yeah, speaking of somebody who does that, <laughs> just like has no, I have never. Yeah, I've never been envious of people who struggle with sleep. And I know it's a really difficult thing. Like even whether it's an inconvenience or it's an actual issue where you're like not getting enough sleep because you can't fall asleep, and you know it's like, or you wake up in the middle of the night. I never wake up in the middle of the night. I I could sleep through a natural disaster. <laughs> I mean, serious. And and which is uh, yeah, it's funny. Nice. That's yeah. And I'm just thinking, I I tend to think I'm not a jealous person, right? Like I. I don't look for material things in life and I'm not really driven by those things, but I actually do have to check my heart with jealousy of people who can sleep well. Cause it's sometimes I'll be laying there in bed and I can't sleep and then I'll start to stress and be worried about not sleeping. Yeah. And it just creates a cycle where I can't fall asleep and I look over <laughs> and there's my wife out for the last two hours. <laughs> and I'm like, how is that possible? Yeah. And I have to check my heart there. Oh, uh, our rules, my, my wife and my rules are completely reversed from you, Michael, where I'm, if we're watching a movie past like 9 p.m., it is an active struggle for me to stay awake. I'm like, if I'm not fully engaged in the movie, which I'm, I, there, it has to be a pretty good movie for me to really care. I am dead asleep. There's no chance I'm staying awake. Um, and oh man, it's so frustrating for Which her. is like, yeah, yeah, it has struggles of its own, right? You know, like you're trying to, you're like, oh, I wish I could stay up later than 9 p.m. <laughs> but uh, oh, I just pretend like I'm out. 75 yeah. years old, and that excuse will work someday. But I guess I have to wait a little bit. Anyway, so we are here today, not as you probably assume, to talk about sleep patterns, which. I, I hope we get less people <laughs> clicking on this for than what we're actually here. But we're talking about uh, spiritual disciplines. We are continuing the spiritual discipline series that we're in right now. Um, and today, specifically, we're going to be talking about prayer. Um, so there's a, there's a lot to discuss here. Um, if you're in any way familiar with Christianity, you know that prayer is a, a pretty central function to the Christian life. Um, and we hope to get into that. Um, but I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, go back and, and uh, listen to the intro topic to this series to talk to see what we're really going for here. Um, and again, we, we paralleled this to the idea of working out or spending some time in exercise and understanding that these disciplines are exactly that. They're disciplines that we're, we're undertaking to find growth in our lives. So with that, um, Andre, what do you think? What do you think about prayer? How does how does prayer fit into the definition of a spiritual discipline? Yeah, um, man, because we've talked about prayer before here, and this won't be the last time we talk about prayer either on the podcast, I'm certain. Um, so when it comes to spiritual discipline in prayer, though, because that's kind of what's new about this time around the block, I think is, and I, this is what I've talked about on previous episodes in this series, is navigating the issue of not letting it become an obligation. So... You know, if you're approaching this topic from the perspective of discipline and you're saying, I want to exert more discipline in my prayer life, it's it's a natural pitfall to s- fall into, I need to, you know, hit this, like, benchmark. And I need to, of, like, praying twice a day or, pray, you know, whatever it is, and to slip into thinking that that's, like, a requirement for my faith and for my right standing with God. And so... That's, you know, I've taken up the responsibility of guarding us on that front on all these topics, I think, because I think it's just a really natural one to fall into. As I think about that with prayer, though, for some reason, 
I tend to think it's actually less of a risk for prayer because I think prayer is such an emotional kind of intimate thing. I don't find myself praying and then thinking to myself, oh, I wish I wasn't doing this, you know, or because you're you're relating to God, you're talking to God, you're you're communing with God, if you will. And it seems to be the sort of thing that's hard to do falsely. I think there is such thing as just like parroting words or or reading stuff that you know as prayer that is can be shallow or empty, but I think at least the way that I've been taught to approach prayer, thankfully, has been one where it's from the heart and you're saying what you need to say and so it's it's not something that I find myself sitting there and doing obligatorily. That being said, there's still room for discipline in my prayer life personally, and that is starting, you know, mm-hmm. just like, you know, when they talk about discipline with reading the Bible, it's like opening the book, right? For prayer, I don't know what it is, c- closing my eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that's for me where discipline is an issue in prayer, a challenge. And you talk about the obligation of it and the, the you, you used the word, you used the word intimate, which I love a lot because prayer is... You have somebody there, and, and and prayer is you know talking to God as you've said or communing with God. You have a person there in God who, and this really will depend on the listener. And and hey, listener, if you're out there, first question as we get into this is what is your view of God? Because that's really going to determine your prayer life. Is if you view God as the creator of the world who crafted you in his image, who loves you dearly, who died for you when you were still in your sins and loves you enough to change your world. That's the God you get to talk to in prayer, that intimacy you talked about. That just comes with such natural vulnerability. No humans around to judge me improperly. No humans around to, to take what I'm saying and, and gossip about it. But I'm, I'm talking to my father who loves me dearly. And I get to open my heart to him as much as I want. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. What I do see a lot, and, and we don't, we can touch on this quick. And I, I think this is something to all of you out there. I've seen this question brought up a lot to me. And, and I, I don't view it as an issue because I'm an extrovert, but there's a lot of people who don't like praying in public because quote, they, they don't know how to pray right. Or, oh, that person's such a good prayer, prayer, prayer. <laughs> is that a word? Prayer. Uh, they, they had, oh, they use such great words when they pray. Wh- what do you think about that, Andre, when you hear that? Like, oh, I'm, I'm scared to pray in front of people because I won't use the right words. Yeah, I think about that verse that I don't know what it is. And I see Matt furiously typing into the Google right now. So he's going to come Google. up with it. The Google. But I think <laughs> that Andre, that's you're a, a boomer. Yeah. <laughs> Andre, you fall asleep at 9 p.m.? Um, Are you going to go to the YouTube after this? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Sorry. Make a stop. Um, I think that it's something that we have to guard against. So basically, I would reject it. Oh, here, he, uh, here I'm he's gonna, I'm going to interject with it uh, yeah. since I found it. Uh, Matthew 6, 7. And when you pray, do not heap up en- empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I assume that's what you're going for. Yeah, that's what I was going for. A secondary one that comes to mind is when... Um, is Moses and Aaron, right? Uh, that doesn't when God like appoints them as like leading the nation of Israel. Is it Moses that is worried about not being able to express himself well to the people? And then Aaron happens to be someone who is gifted with 
that and so they work kind of in tandem and mm-hmm. so like i i see that as an image of it see it doesn't matter they both can be you know impactful influential members of god's kingdom one who happens to so because this is not to say that you shouldn't you know express yourself beautifully in prayer that's just fine it just shouldn't be empty as jesus says and there's a place for that and there's a place for the absence of that as well mm-hmm. as shown in Marath- uh, moses and Aaron. And it shouldn't matter, right? Because you're right. Com- you're communing with God at the end of the day. You're not trying to make yourself look impressive. Exactly. And I think that's just such a, a funny thing with prayer that public prayer, it's great, and I think prayer and community can be very impactful. But to all those all you listeners out there, please hear this: when you pray in public, don't give a darn what other people are thinking about you. Just be talking to your father, be talking to somebody as if he was right there, and use the words that that come to your heart in that don't try to make it sound perfect or beautiful because then you're not praying to god you're praying to impress others so don't worry about that at all and just just bow your head and ignore what other people think i guess is my point that's my encouragement there because i've said terrible things while praying as in not eloquent uh (laughs) terrible things it was probably not the right word but not eloquent right where you just fumble over your words you know it's like that's what where my heart was at i was worried i was concerned a sad thing was happening and you fumble over your words. That's the natural emotional human response there. So, and I, I think that's a really interesting point, Michael, um, what you're bringing up. Um, for two points, one, you're talking about how, how do we eliminate roadblocks to prayer? And I, I want to go there in a minute. But before that, I would like to, to go down the first rabbit trail I think you're bringing up, bringing up and that's the idea of connecting prayer with humility. Um, so, so let's talk about that for a little bit. How how does prayer relate to humility and uh, or or pride? Um, how how does going to God in prayer? Why do we do that, and how does that affect the way we look at ourselves? Michael brought up the fact that how we look at God matters in terms of we, how our incentive to prayer. How does how we look at ourselves play into that? As the great theologian Carrie Underwood once said, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, sorry, I, I missed my falsetto there. Um, <laughs> I can't sing. For all of you listeners out there, Zach makes fun of me for it all the time. But my point in that is that song talks about when you're going through something bad, Jesus, take the wheel. So the question is, when do most people's gut reaction to pray is when something is going bad? They need God to intercede, right? So... The idea of humility in prayer is this. If, if you're in trouble and that's the most common time you pray, when you pray, you are, uh, what's the word, inadvertently acknowledging that there's something greater than you that could impact this bad situation you're in. And you're, you're, you're implicitly, that's, what, that's the word I was looking for, you're implying that there is someone greater than you that can actually change the situation where you know you can't. And that's when prayers matter. And I think that's the link between humility and prayer is that that implicit recognition that God can impact this and you can't. So Yeah. And I think it comes to a head in those situations of need where, you know, yeah, like you're, you're facing a health, a health crisis or a health situation and there's nothing you can do about that disease or that situation. And it's very obvious because that's just them's the facts, you know. And so you turn to prayer, implying that God has greater control over that thing. So that makes a lot of sense then, but I think it's always true. And so that's where I think humility is always, there's always room for humility to be reflected in your prayer, especially when you are going to him when the waters are calm. 
because he also still has control over what things are and is more powerful than you. And, you know, it may not look like it, but you actually still don't have any control Mm -hmm. over your world. And so to honor the, the reality of your humility in the face of God and his creation is just is the right thing to do and and that's why i think humility in prayer is necessary at all times well and and i think the other point here what you're saying is humility and prayer are inseparable whether exactly. whether you're right. whether you're exactly. a non-christian and you don't believe in god and a terrible event happens and you shot in the dark prayer that's an act of humility yeah. if you're a christian for 60 years and you're just you're praying a thankful prayer to god that's an act of humility because you're acknowledging that there is a God and there is something out there that has has power right. over you. And in that way, your prayer life at any given moment is probably a pretty good proxy for the state of your pride issue, you know? Like at all times we're kind of fluctuating. I am roller coastering on these highs of pride, which is bad. It's truly a low. And then and then these moments of great humility kind of in the valleys, right? And I would say that my prior, my prayer life probably tracks that really closely. I'm I'm right there with you, Andrea. I feel like there there are seasons in my life where it just I don't think about prayer, which is like it, it's shameful for me to say that. Yeah. Um, as you know, a, a Christian, but it, I'm things are going well. I'm I'm just doing life, and you know, I'll I'll do other spiritual disciplines. I'll still read my Bible. I'll still um, go to church. I'll I'll meet up, and I'll I'll do other things, but. I'm like I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like I need anything right now. And it's in retrospect when you take time to think about it and you say it out loud, especially on a podcast. You're like, wow, that's super arrogant, Matt, for you to think that like you don't need God, as if He wasn't working already, giving you everything that you have. But um, I I do think that there's something to be said about taking a step back and looking at it and f- and thinking like how how must I humble myself now um, in order to go to prayer and be. And, and see see God through prayer, but then also how do I allow prayer to function as a humbling factor in itself? Mm-hmm. And this is this is something that I've been on a journey on the last eight years, and I I give to you guys and our listeners is this: you want to know the vaccine to pride, the medicine to pride? Don't try to be humble. Start praying. Your first step to the antidote to pride is prayer. It's not necessarily humility. You start praying, you in your mindset, in my mindset, becomes less arrogant through prayer. And you want to, you don't want the, the, the peaks of pride and the valleys of humility, but rather a nice, smooth, humble life where you're always thankful. Be a person of prayer. So, I mean, and it makes sense too. It, we we had the same application. It, well, not the same. A very similar application with reading scripture. You want to read scripture? Well, well read scripture, and you'll do it more. It's like any discipline. You, it, it ends up being self-repeating in a lot of ways. Um, but it, it, I think this shows in a, in a helpful way that it incorporates more than just itself. It's not only perpetuating the discipline. It's bringing in other characteristics that, that God calls us to. Um, and I think what it does is that humans are unbelievably self-focused. Mm-hmm. And so prayer, like you said, Michael, takes that view off of yourself and says, no, someone else is really in control. And that's probably one of the hardest things it is for us humans to do is to admit that we we live in a self-delusional state probably 90 percent of the time <laughs> and when we actually get out of that we're like oh no we're we're in big trouble yeah and and you're you're hitting on it here so spiritual disciplines we're trying to talk about hey i'm a christian 
I know I should pray more, but I'm not. How can I start? So one is a motivation, right? So, or one way is to, with motivation. So one motivation we're just talking about that, that was a motivation for me personally was I wanted to try to remove pride from my life and I didn't know how to do it. So I started praying. If that is a motivation to you, then, and you want to defeat pride and kill that arrogant side of you, maybe that drives you to prayer more. So my question to you guys is what are other motivations that start or, or things or formations in your life that you can start to limit the hurdles to us getting on our knees in prayer? What are other things to get us from the place where we want to pray more to actually praying more? Any ideas come to mind? Maybe um, identifying like a need for more, I don't know, like overflowing kind of compassion, either for the world or for your community, for your city. I mean, we live in Minneapolis right now in early 2021, and it's a very uh, turbulent time for a lot of people. And there's a major need for prayer for the city and for restoration to happen in this city. And I find myself um, more apathetic than I should be. Actually, apathetic at all. You know, there's no room for any apathy uh, towards racial reconciliation, towards peace-seeking. Um, and so as I look to magnify compassion in my life, that's another very um, kind of pernicious thing like pride that is difficult to uproot and difficult to remedy with your own strength. And I think prayer is another great avenue towards that. And so taking this deep desire to uh, address this apathy uh, and arming it towards spending that time in prayer, uh, connecting with God and communing with God and, and drawing near to Him and His virtue and His goodness and His value, I think leads to leads to that in the same way that it leads to humility, I think it leads to greater compassion kind of perfused through your whole life. So if you want to go from pride to humble, pray. Yeah. If you want to go from apathetic to empathetic, pray. Yeah, right. Exactly. So that's the second motivation. Yeah. Um, I'm going to echo part of what Andre said in um, I, I <laughs> the state that we're in, in, in the city that we're in, in Minneapolis in 2020 and 2021, we've seen a lot of things happen. Um, and it, it has caused me to pray a lot more because I've seen pain, I've seen hurting, and it's it's been unavoidable, right? We we've <laughs> um, we've seen uh, police uh, issues and, and abuse issues. We've seen racial art reconciliation boil to the surface, years worth of pain be exposed, um, among so many other things that have happened. Uh, and so. What, what I'm pointing out with this is that, again, I'm seeing something other than my day-to-day -day life. I'm seeing other people's hurt, so it's empathy. And I think another way to get there is by getting alone and by slowing down. So for me, what that looks like and what I find to be helpful is to go for a long walk by myself, usually. Um, other people have different ways, but I, I seriously just get alone. I don't listen to music. I don't listen to a podcast. Um, I don't even listen to TPM podcast. I, I seriously just shut everything off and I just think and I pray. Um, and it's great because it's so hard with all of the different mediums that we have of informational input into our lives. 
it's not even worth listing off all the different ones. We're constantly being bombarded by distractions, by things to, to think about here and there. And here's this issue and here's this issue and here's what you need to think about that I find myself having like an overload of things that I'm supposed to be empathetic about and I can't even focus. I can't care about all of them. So getting alone and thinking about this is what that actually meant for that person. That's when it starts to make a difference. And that's I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I need to pray. I, I don't I'm not just should pray. I'm like, I I must pray right now. Yeah. And if that wasn't meaningful or effective enough on its own, uh, it was something that Jesus did. You know, I think one of the core pa- verses that comes to mind is Mark one thirty five in this, where it says of Jesus, very, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Uh, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> Which, I mean, if you take, uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, better on top of better there where you know at the very least he's going off to a solitary place and praying he's getting away from it all to pray which is exactly what matt just said uh and and then on top of that it's just like if the point wasn't made already the simon comes along and says everybody is looking for you like driving home the reality that jesus lived in a world that was asking a lot of him, that was chaotic, that was full of distractions and, and reasons to not spend time with the Lord, so do we. 2,000 years later, we live in a world that is full of chaos and distractions and reasons to not spend time with the Lord. And so it takes that intentional walk in the morning to pray. Uh, it takes that turning off the phone, uh, unstrapping the Apple Watch, if you're me, because no matter where my phone is, I can still get little buzzes. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and literally, just, dis- dis- you know, truly, completely disconnecting for the sake of having an uninterrupted period of time with the Lord, because you don't want to, you don't want to be half in. I don't know. It's, I, I don't want to be half in when somebody's talking to me. So to apply that to prayer is, I think, good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where bringing scripture, um, and indirectly applying it, and what does that physically look like today is, I think, a question that I often ask of pastors and I often get asked of. And, and on this topic, you brought up one there is two passages come to mind, or one's more a theme than a passage, and then uh, uh, come to mind when I think about prayer. One is the idea of how often Jesus went away and prayed alone. I, I, I don't know what the number is, but if a listener sends us the number of how many times in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that it says Jesus went away and prayed, uh, I'll buy you a cup of coffee or more. Um, <laughs> and then the other one is in Matthew 6, we mentioned the first part of it is uh, go, don't pray out where everyone can see, but go into an inner room, close the door, for there your Father in heaven will see you. So practical application, what does that look like for me? Well, one of the cheesy Christian movies that I actually enjoyed hit on this topic, and it was the the uh, film called War Room, where this old lady, sweet old lady in the movie, she was one of the main characters, had a war room. It was just a closet in her house where she had dozens of pieces of paper and pictures of people where she had gone in every day and prayed. And when she was selling the house, she was walking through this couple who was the other main characters, and they're like, what was this room? Oh, honey, this was my favorite room in the house. This was my war room, and it was where she went alone to pray. So in college, I, I watched that movie, and I started that concept. I found an inner closet that nobody else used. I set up a five-gallon bucket in the back with a stack of Post-it notes, and I started writing out prayer requests. 
free of distractions. I wouldn't let my phone come in and I would pray there. And then the other verse that comes to mind is Philippians 4. That's not, yeah, that's right. Wait, yeah, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Uh, through everything, uh, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That actually starts with do not be anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, pray. And what that started to do in my heart was, one, I went to the closet alone where nothing was there. No one could get to me, and I knew no one needed to enter that closet. It was where I met with God. And then, two, the other thing was, as that verse says, bring everything to God. And what I think practically that means is your first reaction is prayer. When I saw the news of the the last uh, shooting in Minneapolis, the first reaction is prayer. Not, how could this be? This is sad. How can I fix it? First reaction is prayer. Then I go to the next step. Whatever difficulty I have in my life, whether it's work, in my marriage with a friend, with a family member, I don't try to fix it, which is my natural response because my number one strengths finder is restorative. I see broken things and I want to fix them. I first pray. Before I become anxious about it, I first pray. And that's that's the reaction, the discipline to prayer that I've installed is one, seek a secluded place. Two, pray before you do anything else. I, I want to hit on your last point even more for a second because I find that immensely profound. Um, it, to stop and, and to have your first instinct be toward prayer. I, I think it says a couple things. One, it says that you actually believe it makes a difference, right? Um, but two, it... Uh, it's not what most of us do. Most of the Christians I know, myself included, my instinct is not pray when I see tragedy. It's not. Uh, it's not just tragedy, right? Or even even in um, Thanksgiving or or good times. You know, it's not just asking for things. It's also thanks praising God, those sort of things. But I think that our church, our the people of God, would look immensely different if that was true. Um, I'm thinking that my community would look very different if our first instinct was to go to God and say, you are the one who holds the power of life and death. You are the one who created this world, who shaped um, the the sands on the beach. Uh, you know, all of this, if you really look at God as a sovereign being, it does change it. So that kind of brings it back to your, your first comment, Michael. And I, I think that's incredible. Um, and it's convicting for me to think that like that, that should be a motivation, and that's part of right. These dif- disciplines that we're walking through are should be incredibly practical, and that's what we want to get at: is is how does it actually work in our lives? I think that's really helpful. Here's the practical one, and we can start to close here. Here's the practical one that I'm working on right now, and this one's hard. This is the common exchange in America. Person A, let's just comes to me and says, "Hey, Michael, this really tough thing happened in my life. My." friend is sick, would you pray for them? My response often is, yes, I will pray for them. Where I've been trying to change it and say, may I pray for you and them now? And that's a catch the nuance there. Instead of saying, I'll pray for you later and then may or may not pray for them if I forget, if something comes up, I'm trying to get better at saying, may I pray with you now? May I pray for this issue now and ask a question. And even if it's a non-Christian, and this is where I've been getting scared, is, is as non-Christian people, 
at work in my new job, trust me more and bring hard stuff to me. Am I willing to say, Hey, may I pray for you now? And that's a, a scary thing that I'm working on. And that's the, that's the discipline that I'm seeking to is that slight change from, yes, I will pray for you, which is a great thing to say to a, to a bam thing to saying, may I pray with you now about this, especially to Christians. I think we should be doing that as an encouragement because then right there, you know, you prayed for them right there. We let God intercede right there. We asked for his help. So that was one of the disciplines that I'm working on to, again, one, inject more prayer in my life, but just humble me, bring me in front of God and make sure I'm praying for people who ask for prayer. So as we do start to wrap this up here, uh, I'm the, the last question I'm going to ask you guys is this. Um, how how do you pray when you don't want to pray? When it's, I, I think we often think about prayers early in the morning. That doesn't have to be the case, but it's, it's what I'm going to pitch to you because I think it's when a lot of people think about it. You wake up, you have half an hour or an hour before work starts or before school starts. Um, you find yourself alone and you're pondering what to do. Same, same thing we asked about reading scripture, right? Uh, and especially if you're tired, why? Why pray? And how do you convince yourself or, or how do you come to a point where you decide that's the best use of your time? Help me understand because that's something personally I'm, I'm struggling with right now and I'd love some encouragement in. Yeah, well, I'm not going to answer that question to make it seem like I'm very good at that because I'm not. I'm probably in the boat of needing the encouragement, but I don't know. It, when it comes to selling myself on spending time praying, I just I I try to harken back to times that I've prayed that have been so restorative and comforting. I take so much. I think it's just it's one of the number one if if there are selfish reasons for espousing Christian belief and practicing uh, life as a Christian that is like just helpful and good and comforting and makes my life better in an an unabashed way it is prayer it is the satisfaction and the comfort that comes from knowing that God creator of the universe uh, you know Lord overall is hearing me is there for me has said and done all these things that are true and that are true of me and 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 so it just sat you know kind of soaking up that truth in his presence in prayer and being able to express myself in a way that makes that those things you know i'm kind of telling myself a lot of those things but it's just it's so i don't know it's just so restorative so when I find myself struggling to pray, I, I go back to that, and I go back to knowing how good it feels to, to be known and to be heard in that kind of a space, um, uh, you know, and, and acknowledge that I need that. I need that way more than I think I need that, you know? And so on a random morning, I, I just try to give the benefit of the doubt to the fact that I really need that and that it's, that it's worth it. And you know what? And this is my application. It's a matter of starting. Uh, you know, I, I, I just push myself to jump off the starting block and then kind of let myself go the rest of the way, which is so much easier uh, if I can at least get started. Mm -hmm. And Matt, to your point, the question of how do you pray when you don't want to pray and how do you pray when you're tired? All of Andre's points spot on, just start. One thing I have done at times to get my brain correct in a world where we care about comfort more than anything else one thing I do to pray when I'm tired 
is to kneel on just a hard floor somewhere. And it's it's not painful. It's not like going to hurt me. But it's just uncomfortable enough to remind me why I'm there. It wakes me up enough to remind me why I'm there. And that little bit of, and I, I <laughs> it's not like masticism where, that's probably not pronounced right, where, you know, the old monks would whip themselves on the back as they prayed to remind themselves of the sin that they've done. I'm not promoting that, but I am saying just a reminder of discomfort to allow the, your physical and your emotional discomfort to be brought before God and to remind you of the things going on in your life. And it's one of those little tiny actions rather than laying down on the bed to pray or pray in the corner or pray on some carpet where it's not that uncomfortable and you start to mind drift and you start to fall asleep again. Just find that bathroom floor, find that kitchen floor, kneel on it, and you'll remind yourself why you're there. And it's been one of the little things I do to, to get me into prayer. But I, I like that. That's that's really clever. Um, I think that we can get so amazingly comfortable, at least here in America in 2021. We really don't have to be uncomfortable at all at any point in our day, which is remarkable. But man, it can be hard to remember that life isn't always um, as good as we, we might feel at the moment. So I like that. And it's good because, Andre, you hit on the emotions. You hit on what, what happens, you know, how do we convince ourselves that it, that it is better? It will make us feel better emotionally. Michael hit on what do we do physically? And I'll take on, um, for, for someone who thinks like me, uh, very like anal- analytically, very um, logically, where that's your first place to go. Um, and this this is a quote that, well, it's not a quote, but it's something that I've heard John Piper speak on before. And it's that if you don't know what to pray about, if you don't feel like you have something to pray about in the moment, take a moment and seriously just think about it. Just think. And if you don't have six people that pop to your mind in 30 seconds that need prayer, you're not engaging with people because everyone does. If it's not you, you have people in your life. You have family, you have friends, you have coworkers, you have teachers or whoever it is, neighbors that need prayer right now. And probably chances are you've told them you're going to pray for them. So do it, take some time, remember it and just do it and get in that habit. It is a discipline and these things, they matter. (laughs) They matter a lot. And, um, what, what we're doing here with this uh, with this series about spiritual disciplines is, I, I want to remind us, it, it is exactly that. It's going to take a while to get used to doing it. It's going to be a process. It's going to be hard work at times, but all of that serves a purpose. And that purpose is growing closer to God, taking our faith seriously, and taking hold of it to, to grow together. And I hope that's what you're doing by listening to this podcast. I hope that um, it's been meaningful to you. So if it has... Go ahead, uh, subscribe to our channels, leave us a review, reach out to us at theologyofplainmen at gmail.com. Uh, let us know if there's something else you want us to talk about, and we'll gladly engage in that way. And if not, or if so, either way, we hope that our verbal processing has been for your edification. Cheers. Cheers.